Hi to all our listeners. This is Coach Chelsea, the host of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study, a place where athletes, coaches, and athletic professionals come together to talk about faith, sports, and servant leadership. We hope that this podcast blesses you. If there's anything we could do for you, please find us at the Chelsea F on Twitter, at Chief Friend John, C H E F R A N J O H N on Instagram and streaming live at Chelsea F. Muir on Facebook. We pray that you continue to be blessed and continue to serve as God would ask us to. All right, I want to thank everybody for joining us um, on the Servant Leader Podcast and Coach's Bible Study. It's been an amazing ride with now going on eight and a half months of just talking about leadership and faith and how servant leadership looks in the eyes of beholders of coaches and leaders and educators. And so today we have Coach Robert McCullum, the head coach of Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University men's basketball team on today. I was just telling Coach before we started that I met him briefly in passing, but it's not always about what you meet up in person. But sometimes, and a majority of the time, the truest definition of a servant leader is what you watch them do when they're not paying attention or doing it for an audience. And so, Coach, I just want to personally take the time. You know, it's been a, a, a line that people have been saying over and over, which is so true, giving people their flowers while they can smell them and while they can, you know, hear those words. So I just thank you for what you do uh, for the program, showing them how to be amazing men and walk in the talk. And I'm just so thankful for you coming on to chat with us today. And I'm just going to go ahead and pass the torch for you so you can introduce yourself and just kind of talk to us about your journey uh, through athletics and just about your faith in your position. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to, to share. And uh, <clears throat> I'm truly, I'm truly uh, honored uh, to have an opportunity and so I'll try and talk um, briefly and quickly sort of about my background, a little bit about my journey, and uh, talk a little bit about um, my faith, and which, which um, that's what has and what does uh, sustain me. And so I'll talk about that and make a couple of, uh, of points that hopefully would be would be uh, relevant and helpful to to some of the coaches that are on on the line, and then open it up uh, for for some questions. So, I, first thing I like to do is just uh, begin with uh, with a prayer, and uh, so we can pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for for this opportunity. I thank you uh, for just to be a part. Uh, of this, of this, uh, this, uh, this, this organization, uh, the reason that we're all here, and I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, I, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up during the height of the civil rights uh, movement. I was raised by a single parent, by my mom. Um, and uh, during my, during the, my, the, my late twenties, early thirties, uh, as I, I thought back on my childhood, I could not remember uh, a single kid that I grew up with that was poorer than me. And uh, for example, I, I was an eighth grader before we ever had a television. I can remember one day kids talking about commercials and I, I asked what was a commercial and they all laughed. Well, if we didn't have a television, I had no way of knowing what a, what a, what a commercial was. But yet I knew more about sports than, than most kids my age, although we never had a television. And so I got, we got our first television uh, when I was an eighth grader. My mom paid five bucks a week for seven weeks and, and, and bought a used Savannah television for 35 bucks. And so I watched 
my first first college basketball game at my at my house. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was Lou Alcindor at the time, was a junior at UCLA, and they were getting ready to play Houston in the Final Four. And that was the, that was the first time. Five months later, that TV went out. But but anyway, so I I grew up there. Uh, I was just an average uh, basketball player. I got a scholarship to Seminole Junior College in Sanford, Florida, and uh, that was just a just a blessing. Uh, my mom uh, and my high school coach uh, were the two most influential people uh, in my life. I saw my mom do three things. I saw her pray. She had a great work ethic and she was always willing to, to help people. And we had very, very, very little as I, as I stated, but I still can hear her say, here, come to take a plate, take this plate up to miss, to miss so-and-so. And so those of you who grew up maybe in the black community, uh, close knit, you can relate to what I'm saying. And so that, that was uh, what I saw her do. I saw her pray, I saw her work, and she always had a willingness to help. And so I'm grateful that so much of that is, is part of my makeup. So I, I had my first full-time job as a 13-year-old as a between my seventh and eighth grade year. My high school coach was the, was the second most influential person. He's a strong disciplinarian, a great coach. He was a great teacher, great teacher of the fundamentals, stress, uh, fundamentals, attention to details. And so that was, that was my background. And uh, so I never recall wanting to be a coach and it was during my junior year I uh, had to sort of because of a instructor I had in junior college I'd planned to go into urban development and it's the first time as a 20 year old that I I ever vividly recall the Lord speaking to me I was baptized when I was seven, 77 years old and of course, like a lot of kids, I strayed more times than, than I can mention. But the first time I ever remember the Lord speaking to me and said, clearly, what are you doing? You're a coach. And at that time, you have to teach in order to be a lot to coach. So I changed my major to phys ed and graduated and started teaching school in the Birmingham Public School System. I taught two years middle school, uh, coached boys and girls basketball, boys and girls track, girls volleyball, did not earn a penny. I was as happy doing that as anything I've done since. I went to high school for two years, as, uh, for four years, as a, an assistant coach to my high school coach. I actually turned down some high school jobs, actually a job at my alma mater that was considered one of the top five high school programs in the, in this, in the state of Alabama at that time. So I went from being a JV high school coach to in, in division one college coaching. And, and so, uh, as a, a JV coach, I was watching a, a college basketball game and something triggered. I'm 24, 25 years of age and something triggered that said, that's what I want to, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm going to do. I want to become a division one head basketball coach. And from that moment on, I became sync driven, single minded to, to accomplish just that. But why me? What, what was it about me? Never having been a high school coach, was only a starter for one year in high school, only a starter for one year in junior college. I went to sign the basketball scholarships at Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi. After three days, I realized uh, it, it was a mistake. I transferred to Birmingham Southern. I was on a partial scholarship. And they told me I'd have to sit out a year to play. And at that point, I realized I knew I wasn't going to play professional basketball. 
and I knew what I had to do from an educational standpoint. And so from uh, that's sort of a little bit about my background in terms of my, my upbringing um, and, and, uh, and those things. Uh, One of the first points I want to make, and I think this is extremely, extremely important. And that is one, uh, a, a kingdom man makes the most of what he has. A kingdom man makes the most of what he has. And that's the that's the title of a chapter uh, from Tony Evans' uh, book, Kingdom Man Devotional. And I think it's so relevant. It was so relevant uh, to me. It's so relevant, I'm sure, to thousands and thousands of other people. And I kind of got my start, learned the game. I would drive from Birmingham, Alabama to Lawrence, Kansas to work basketball camp at the University of Kansas. I did that three summers in a row, 900 miles each way. I learned the game. I learned to network. And it made me feel good about myself. Uh, it, it really worked, did wonders for my confidence. All the time, I'm a JV coach. But again, uh, and, 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 and all the time, the Lord was placing, as he's done for many of you, he would put mentors and what I call dream makers in my life along the way. At the time, I didn't realize it. But as I grew and got older, I realized not only what this person has said to me or done for me, but the timing. And we know God's timing is perfect, always. And so uh, I had a mutual a friend that had been trying to get me to meet Leonard Hamilton for a year or two. In my young mind, I had no interest. I was obviously naively kind of associating him with what the perception was socially of Kentucky at that time. And he finally convinced me to meet Leonard Hamilton. And when Leonard Hamilton and I met 39 years ago, you would thought that we had known each other for 20 years. And we've had a relationship for 39 years. So I'm working camp at Kentucky one, one summer and he just sees me busting my butt at camp, doing station work, never ask him for a favor, never ask him to put me with this age group or that age group. Whatever they gave me, I did it. And it was from there that he recommended me for a job in college coaching, and and I got the job in 1982. But I want to back up to back to the topic I, I, I mentioned. A kingdom man makes the most of what he has. So during that particular uh summer of camp, the head coach at Kentucky at that time, Joe B. Hall, he would come in after camp and he would kind of do lectures for all the camp coaches. And I'll never forget uh, a comment he made. He said, the very first job I took, I took it as a junior high coach. He said, I took that job as if I was going to be there the rest of my life. And, and that left the lasting impression on me. I think that is uh, an extremely valuable piece of information because far too often we make the mistake of looking ahead. And by looking ahead, we can't give all that we can, all that we have to offer. And so, as I mentioned, I, I was so happy teaching and coaching middle school. I never earned a penny, but yet I noticed as long as I stayed, I kept the gymnasium open, seven, sometimes eight o'clock, there'd be boys and girls up there. And that registered to me, there's something wrong at home. There's something lacking. There's a void. They don't want to go home. 
they're more comfortable here. And so, again, and Coach Hall's comments about make the most of, of, of where you are, what you have. And so Tony Evans uh, says, a kingdom man makes the most of what he has. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Do what you can with what you have where you are. And I, I, I think that is, that is so, so, so valuable. So I, I fast forward to when I, I get into coaching. And uh, so fast forward 20 years later, the spring of 1994, I'm assistant at the University of Florida. We just qualified for Florida's first appearance in the Final Four. So a few days leading into our team leading for Charlotte to the Final Four, a local reporter did an interview with me and asked me about my feeling, my satisfaction, what it meant, a little bit about my background, about coaching and those kinds of things. And again, the Lord spoke to me. And it all, the very first time I ever uttered these words was in the spring of 1994. I was called to coach. And, 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 and he reminded me that as a seventh and eighth grader, I would organize boys. Baseball was my first love. I would organize kids that were three, just three, four years younger than me. And I would hit fly balls to them, hit ground balls. And I was a, just an average baseball player at best. But this was natural. And then I would get them together and we would play games. We lived in an alley in what's called shotgun houses. I could jump from my porch to the next porch. And we play games against the kids that live in the home houses on the paved streets. And so I had experiences, it's just the most natural thing I've ever done. And, and so he, experiences like that went on for the next nine years. And again, it's the most natural thing I've ever done. At the end of my senior year in high school, after losing the state championship by one point during spring practice for the upcoming season, my uh, eligibility was ex it expired. I'm a senior. My high school coach says to me, Robert, come on and, and ride over with me. We're going to uh, have a scrimmage against Carver High School. I can't coach. I want you to sit on the bench with the team. Why me? Why not one of the other seniors? What was it that he saw? The guys at the community center where I live, they would ask me, what, what was it? But all of these things, it, 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 was, it was the Lord. And again, the Lord made it clear that this is what he called me to do. And again, years later, the Lord showed me perhaps the first time he showed me where well, I realized the importance of trust and, and, and faith. The first time I realized God's provision and God's protection. His provision and his protection. My mother sent me over to, we, I called him my granddad, she called him her father, he, he was her actual uncle, he, he raised her. We had nothing to eat in the house. I'm 12, I got a brother that um, was eight and a half years younger than me, a sister 10 years younger, we had nothing to eat. And so I couldn't find him. And so uh, this is probably late October, November, I began walking over to this white community. We're talking two or three years after the church bombing, the four girls were killed in Birmingham in the church bombing. So it was still a very, very dangerous, volatile time in Birmingham. I began walking through this all white neighborhood, knocking on doors, asking if I could rake their leaves. 
And one guy said, yes, the yard was so big. I was afraid to say three or four dollars because I was afraid not only what he might say, but what he might do. So I said two bucks. I raked the yard. I got the two bucks. I stopped by the store on the way home. Ball back. People call him a chicken now. Back then, we called him a fryer. I don't know if it about the look. Call about about a fryer, a loaf of bread, and bologna out of that two bucks and went home. Within a, a year, we had another experience. Nothing to eat. I guess the mailman was coming a few days or whatever, and I began going through drawers, literally going through drawers, looking for a due bill. Those of you all who might not know what a due bill is, if you get, if you had, if you got food stamps and you didn't use all of your food stamps, the, the store would write you a due bill, which was like the rest of that, the value of the food stamp. I couldn't find an old due bill. So what I found was a, just a plain receipt. And that receipt had whatever prices and it added up. It had 97 cents. All it had, 90, nothing was written on it. So what it actually was, was something that had been purchased for 97 cents. So the Lord led me to that receipt. I took that receipt to the store. I asked for a pound of bologna, and a loaf of bread. I never said a word to him about the receipt. I gave him the receipt. He said, what is this? I said, it's a dubio. You just forgot to write dubio on it. He looked at me as if to say, so-and-so, how, how can you be smart enough to? And he put the bologna and the bread in the, in the bag, and I went home. That was the Lord. And I bring these things up because far too often we have so many people, especially young people who have not had situations in their lives that's taught them to trust in God, to, to have faith uh, in God. And so those are just some of the experiences that I, that I had uh, that, that's, that taught me to, to trust in God and to, to just always restore my faith in, 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 in times of, of weakness. And so uh, as I got in college coaching, I had a goal of wanting to become a head coach and it didn't happen in 10 years like I thought. It took a long time. I was a, a division one assistant for 18 years. I finished second on more jobs than you can imagine. There was one job at Washington State University in 1994. My wife and I were actually on the campus when they made the decision to go with the other candidate. And I remember crying like a baby. Why me? Or why not me? But when, when the Lord has something for you, it's amazing how easy it is. Because what he has for you is for you. And so I've had so many experiences through coaching. I've had ups and downs. I've been fortunate and blessed to have done something basketball related, whether it's coaching, whether it's recruiting, doing clinics, camps, in addition to the U.S., in Asia, in Europe, in Africa. And so I, I have truly, truly been blessed. And as I say that, I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've been knocked down. Which brings me to, to my last point. I said I've been knocked down. But what's most important, the Lord will rebuild you. God rebuilds us and molds us in isolation. Sometimes God will remove us and put us, take us to, a, send us to a faraway place, remotely, to work on us. And so 
before I open it to questions, I want to just share a quick story with you. And this is a, a story, one of my favorite stories from a book called On the Anvil by Max Lucada. And it's, I'll try to get through it quickly on God's anvil. Perhaps you've been there, melted down, formless, undone, placed on the anvil for reshaping. A few rough edges, too many. Discipline, a good father dis disciplines. Testing, but why so hard? I know, I've been on it. It's rough. It's a spiritual slump, a famine. The fire goes out. Although the fire may flame for a moment, it soon disappears. We drift downward, downward into the foggy valley of question the misty lowland of discouragement. Motivation wanes, desire is distant. Responsibilities are depressing. Passion, it slips out the door. Enthusiasm, are you kidding? Anvil time. It can be caused by death, a breakup, going broke, going prayerless. The light switch is flipped off and the room darkens. All the thoughtful words of help and help and hope have all been nicely said, but I'm still hurting, wondering on the anvil. Brought face to face with God out of the utter realization that we have nowhere else to go. Jesus in the garden, Peter with a tear streamed face, David after Bathsheba. Elijah and the still small voice, Paul blind in Damascus, pound, pound, pound. I hope you're not on the anvil unless you need to be, and if so, I hope you are. Anvil time is not to be avoided, it's to be experienced. Although the tunnel is dark, it goes through the mountain. Anvil time reminds us of who we are and who God is. We shouldn't try to escape it. To escape it could be to escape God. God sees our life from the beginning to the end. He may lead us through a storm at age 30 so we can endure a hurricane at age 60. An instrument is useful only if it's in the right shape. A dull axe or a bent screwdriver needs attention. And so do we. A good blacksmith keeps his tools in shape. So does God. Should God place you on his anvil, be thankful. It means he still, he thinks you're still worth reshaping. The Lord's reshaped me time and time again. 10 years ago, I applied for a job at the University of Oregon and the coach kind of gave me the runaround. We knew each other, applied for assistant coaching job. He finally came out and said, well, coach, I don't have the energy that I used to have and you're a little bit older than me, so you can't have it. I was 56 years old and I said to him, I can't relate to what you're saying. Long story short, I took a position at the university at, at Georgia Tech. They could not believe I was 56. No way. But look at the Lord. Four years later, I was hired at Oregon for a lesser position than the one I initially wanted, but I was hired nonetheless. And so at the time I was hired at Oregon, I don't want to bore you with all the details. The head coach, perhaps unknowingly, needed me a lot more, perhaps, than I knew. Let's say we needed each other, but he needed me a whole lot more than even he knew. But the timing that the Lord sent me there, he reshaped me. He sent me to a faraway place, socially perhaps the most least desired state I've ever lived in. Were it not for the student athletes, 
I could go weeks without seeing anybody that looked like me. But it was a great three years. And sometimes the Lord would do that to you and for you. And through it all, my faith has sustained me. When I applied for the job at FAMU, uh, all I heard was this person is going to get it, that person is going to get it. And from January to before the job even came open, I knew my predecessor well. From January 1st, 2017, every single day I prayed that should the job, I didn't, I wasn't hoping for my predecessor to fail, but I knew that things weren't going well. But my prayer was should something, should every single day and through it all of this person's gonna get the job, this person's favorite to get the job, through it all, here I am. And so uh, with that, I'll, uh, I'll uh, let me share one more thing. To, to me, this is very, very important. I think we all have these. There, there are two passages that, 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 that continue to sustain, sustain me day after day, year after year. My, my two favorite scriptures, uh, both from Philippians, Philippians 4.13, you all know it all so well. I can do all things uh, through Christ who strengthens me. And then the second one, Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me uh, heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, uh, again, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you all, uh, share a little bit about me and my background, my story. Uh, but, again, I've been so blessed. And, again, mentors and, and what I call dream makers along the way uh, have played an important role. Coach, so amazing. And I'm sitting here because... You know how it's always like you go to church and the first thing people say, oh my goodness, who told pastor about me? You know, and so that's how I feel and that's how I know when God has been in the midst and use these coaches and individuals as vessels because I'm like, oh my goodness. And I just keep hearing resounding in my ear, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Even if we don't understand it and you're, you're so right, we can't focus, if we don't focus on where we are, and I love it because Coach Paul, who's always on here, he talks about being where your feet are. And you said at best, we can't, we'll miss our blessings sometimes when we don't focus on where we are because we're so quick to look ahead. But God's timing is perfect. All we have to do is trust him. And I, I saw that, I heard that through every position that God placed you in in your life, even starting back when you were, you know, a young boy and, you know, me and Coach Paul have talked about this before and listened to some of the same podcasts, and we've been on the same wavelength. And when you talked about, um, you know, going back to the store and getting that bologna and that, you know, loaf of bread, it brought us back to the conversations he and I have been having about how God provided. And as you said, you know, you knew it was God that led you to that receipt. You knew it was him. And even in those times, what that spoke to me was that when we don't see that he's going to provide, just trust him. You still went to that store and he provided beyond what we could have thought about. So I thank you so much just for, oh my gosh, so many nuggets that you, you said today because they truly have touched me. And I'll take this time and I'll go ahead and allow anybody to give a question or comment or anything to you. Um, and then I'll come back with mine. So guys, the floor is open if you have anything to say to coach. Coach, I just want to want to thank you for your message today. And there's like three or four words that jumped out at me through all of the things that you said. Um, the, the, the biggest one is you just trust every, every step along the way, your faith led you. And you said, I just trusted in God and it was God led. And then the other words that joined, jumped out at me was you talked about the power of prayer and, and, and the word joy jumped out when you talked, it just, it just comes out. And I think the biggest word for me was work. You know, I think sometimes we all, as, as people of faith, we all sit back and we wait for God to, you know, 
when is God going to intervene or when is God going to do this? It's like, we have to do our part, but all, every step along your journey, work was, was about the first thing you did. Doesn't matter what it was, hitting baseballs, coaching JV, coaching all those sports, but you worked. And, and we're, I think as, as people of faith, we're called to work. And we, sometimes we always forget that if, you know, God will always do his part. That's right. But if we don't do ours, it doesn't, I mean, it's not going to happen. But that whole idea of, 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 you know, of working, you know, we're, we're called to, to work as people of faith, wherever God puts us. So again, great message today. And I just appreciate that. Thank you for that. Well, well, thank you, you so, and I, I appreciate your comments. And so my, my uh, high school coach used to say, don't be so quickly to rate yourself, let other people rate you or notice you. And so uh, if we, again, do the best we can with the job that we have without looking ahead, you, you're doing things the right way, you're doing them for the right reason, and and hopefully that's for a reason bigger than yourself, other people will notice what you're doing, no matter how small. We know God will use anyone, no matter how, where you're from. The best example is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can remember a time years ago, I was a great basketball ball player out of Biloxi, Mississippi, by the name of Chris Jackson. He, he lately changed his name. He converted to Islam, played two years at LSU. And so during his freshman, sophomore year at LSU, he was playing so well, so great, that Billy Packer, who was the lead uh, uh, analyst for CBS, got so carried away that he made the comment, how can someone that good, be from a small town in Mississippi. Now, I and many others kind of have an idea of where he was trying to go, but yet it came across very, very derogatory. He was actually suspended for a few games. But again, it doesn't, the Lord will use you no matter where you're from. And again, I, I went from a, a JV high school coach to a college coach. And, and so, uh, again, that's just, a, that's just an example. But each place, and I say this to our players here at FAMU, I give you everything. I give you as much as I gave the players I had. And I was head coach at the University of South Florida for four years or Western Michigan for three years. I owe it to you every day to give you my best. So the name on the front of the university of or whatever, that has nothing to do with it. Because at the end of the day, I have to answer, I have to look myself in the mirror as well. That's real good, Coach. We had, um, and y'all have to forgive me, I always think about Coach Corey Black, who uh, came on a couple of weeks back. And, you know, I'm, I am a teacher by trade, so you're going to hear some of our, our amazing marching band, maybe. Uh, so just put you up on that if you hear that. But uh, uh, Mr. Romano came on and he talked about the very thing as you. And just as you said, I'm going to give my best. I'm going to give the same amount of me no matter where I am. And he, he positioned it and said, you know, who do we play for, right? What's important? The name on the back of the jersey is never as important as the name on the front of the jersey. And so I love how you have that same spin. You know, sometimes, and I tell my young ladies that I coach, it doesn't matter who we're playing. The mission is the same. Your effort should be the same. And in servant leadership and doing God's work, it doesn't matter where he places you. I don't care if it's, you know, whatever your job title is, you have to take out the trash. You're going to do it to the best of the ability if that's what he's called you to do. And so I love that you give that to your players because you mentioned young people um, as you were speaking to us. And I think that's so important. You know, they, they're paying attention. They're paying attention to what we do. Not they, you, they'll hear what we say, but they're paying attention to what we do. And if we don't set that standard for them, if they don't see us working, if we're telling them they have to go hard, but they see us going 
or complaining about where we are because as you said, I'm thinking about what my next move is or where I want to be or, oh, this job is not as, you know, prestigious as one I used to be, so I don't have to do as much. They're paying attention to those things. But not only that, God is paying attention to those things. And as he always says, he's going to bless you according to what you're doing because the thing about it is if he can't bless you with this over here, how do you think he's going to bless you on your next level? And so I'm so key, Coach. I think that's so key. Thank you. Do we have anybody else? All right, Coach, I have a question for you. And, and this has become one of my favorite questions because it actually was something that I read in my own, you know, time and meditation. How do you stay spiritually fit? You know, in the midst of the season, I know the pandemic has kind of places to have more time. You know, I laugh all the time. We ask God, God, I just need more time. I need more time. Now we've been in this pandemic where things are now opening back up, but we had a bit of a pause. But when things get going, when you're in the season and you're in practice, you know, I, I was so thankful to connect with you through Coach Daniels, who's on the call. And, you know, I was actually talking to him the other day and, you know, he's like, hey, he's pulling up ready to work. And things can be so hectic, but how do you stay spiritually fit and carve out that time for Christ in the midst of your schedule? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. I think it's like most things. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's discipline, it's self-discipline. Uh, first thing, uh, and just talking like prior, prior to COVID, uh, I, I adjust my, my schedule from uh, when I attend church. I guess if I just had my druthers, I'd prefer the 11 o'clock service but I'm a member of Bethel, uh, uh, Bethel Missionary Baptist Church, Pastor Holmes. And so once the school starts for the, in the fall, I began, I attend the early service. So that gives me more time to prepare for practice or what have you. Then the other thing that I do, and I, I've grown. I'm not going to tell you 25 years ago I did that. I'd be lying. So I do, I do daily uh, de uh, devotionals. I, I mentioned, I alluded to The Kingdom Man by Tony Evans. I have maybe uh, one other that I do. I so also do um, uh, a couple, at least, at least a couple of other uh, uh, Zoom Zoom calls of uh, uh, meetings uh, uh, a week. Uh, and so th those things sort of help, uh, help to keep me uh, grounded uh, and help sort of keeps me, my focus where it needs to be. So it, again, it's just areas that I've grown. Another area that I've grown over the years, and this is just in the last 10 years, I'd say, I, I, uh, I'm really big on encouraging and trying to teach and lead our guys to the importance of faith. I don't get into telling them what church to attend, what denomination. We visit various churches around town. And the reason I do that, and by sharing and giving, I receive at the same time. So I feel when, when students are in college, they should grow in four areas. And so since I, I'm talking referencing student athletes, I think you should grow academically. I think they should grow in their respective sport athletically. Uh, they should grow socially and they should grow spiritually. And so I think it's my place to help sort of keep that in front of them. And, and so many of them, they come here having been grounded in the church, grown up in the church, uh, they have a background. They have, they have a reference, they have experiences. And so often they, they sort of, it, they drift away. But again, uh, I talk to our guys about the importance of faith, that you, you can't be the best you could possibly be without faith. And so I, I, again, it's my place to encourage them and try and create an environment that's conducive to those things. So those just a few things that, uh, that, I, uh, that I try and do. And again, I speak to just talking to friends who are, who are strong Christians, strong believers. Uh, that helps me as well.
just the again the company that I keep. Oh, that's so huge, Coach. Oh my goodness, that's so huge. And we know that you know Scripture, iron, iron sharpens iron, and it means it. You know, and, and you have to be very exactly, Coach G. Coach G put down there is that circle we talk about again. Absolutely, you know, how can we grow if the people around us are not pouring into us or helping us grow or sharpening us? You have to be mindful that those people in your circle are not dulling your tools. You talked about your tools, right? Uh, and I want to get it right. You talked about when you read the tools, you said God keeps his tools um, for us. Yes. So, so in our circle, how can we get sharp if we have people around us that are dulling us or not trying to grow? It was a thing we talked about before, and it says some people hold you down and some people hold you down. And it's so funny how same words, but that tone makes difference. And so I think it's so correct when you say watch the company that you keep and understand who's in your circle um, that builds you up. Um, because this is the Servant Leader uh, Coaches Bible Study and Podcast, I got to ask you, and that has been the beauty of these past couple of months. You take two words and then you ask from a different perspective and you get so many different definitions all ringing back to the same truth. What does servant leadership look like to you as a coach, as a man of faith, as a husband? How, what does that look like to you? What does servant leadership look like to you? Well, I, I, I think about that often. And so I, as I try and do on, on a number of things, I sort of, I, uh, I'm a big history buff. So the, for me, there's so many things. The origin is really important to me. The origin of something, where it happened, why it happened, when it happened. So the origin and the geography, all those things are really, really important to me. So when you start talking about the origin, Jesus was a great servant. The greatest leader, the greatest servant. And so that might sound corny or bookish or whatever, but but to me, that that's that's the that's the first thing that that comes to mind. So if he was that, if he if he is that, in which we know he is, and we know he sent the Holy Spirit, so then to, it seems to me that it, it should be difficult. It's, difficult to not follow that or to not notice the example. And so while it's a extremely, uh, you know, to measure up to still, that's where it begins to me. So uh, how I go about uh, running our program, communicating with our players, communicating with their families, uh, one of the one of the greatest compliments that I can remember having was paid to me in quite some time was uh, when I came here and uh, was hired in seventeen spring of seventeen. One of the guys I hired was a young twenty two year old guy right out of college. He'd been our head manager at Oregon, so I knew right away because of his work ethic, his discipline, his attention to details, I knew he'd be a great fit. So after two years, he wanted to try something different, pursue other challenges, and he wrote me a letter. And this is what he said that, this, that, that really made me feel so good. He said, Coach, one thing I learned from you that I always take with me, he said, this, this left lasting impression on me is that you treat the janitors you talk to them just like you talk if you're talking to the athletic director he said the way you treat people he said that's left the lasting impression on me and and so we know action, the old saying, action speaks louder than words. And so I 
try not to ask anything of our coaches or our players that I wouldn't do. And so I think it's, it's how I go about how I carry myself on a day-to-day -day basis, how I handle adversity. And because young people are always watching, even when you don't think they're watching, they're watching. And so the one thing I try and do, I try, I try to be consistent. And there's some, one thing I think this is really, really important. I hope perhaps that some on the line can relate to this or may benefit from this. When I go home at night, uh, my wife didn't hear me say bad things about our players. No matter how bad things have gone, my, my wife would never know it. And vice versa. When I walk onto the court, really it shouldn't matter. I owe it to my players. And I, there's something that, that back in the 90s when I was at the University of Florida, my wife would say to me sometimes, well, why don't you tell me so-and-so about the players? Otherwise, when we get together and they'd say this, saying that, well, why don't you tell me so-and-so about it? Why am I the last one to know? And here's my response. I said, honey, however you see him, that's how I want you to see him. And that has served me extremely, extremely well. If, if those are on the line who are married, if you go home, every night saying something good about your co-workers or friends or whatever, your wife or your husbands are going to love them, are going are gonna to think highly of them. And the opposite is true as well. And so that's something else. It may seem small, but uh, that's something that I've worked at, and I think that's extremely important. Coach, that's not small at all. I think that is huge. And, and what I just put down here to chat everybody else, I was like, that's huge. I, I mean – we're not about painting negative pictures of people. And I think that holds true. And I think that carries a lot of weight because that's what I mean about the beauty of that definition of servant leadership, because we've heard it from other people. Servant leaders are supposed to speak life, right? And so how am I going to speak life or better people? Because that's been another definition. Servant leaders make pe people better. They leave things greater than what they found them. But how do I do that? I don't care if it's factual or my truth about what happened, but how do I do that when I go ahead and paint the picture of somebody in a negative light, intentionally or not, before someone even meets them? Because that person could change. And sometimes you not giving a person a chance. I think I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago and I said, it's amazing how many people miss their blessings because of what somebody said. Yes. Someone else. You're could have been in that person that God sent you, but somebody else told you something about them. But what does God say to you? So I think that was huge. Yeah, another, another thing that I, I think is really, really important is, is communication. And, and so I try and give our players input. I, I oftentimes I'll ask them, what do you think? What do you want? Even during the timeout, I, sometimes I'll say to them, what do you want to run? And that, that really, so you, you, ownership works both ways. You want the players to take, say you want them to take ownership in the program where you have to demonstrate that. And so I'm trying to appeal to their intellectual side. So I'm trying to say to them, I want them to feel, you know what, coach, coach, trust me, he, he respects what we think. And I, th I think that, I think that goes a long, long way. Because when I was coming up, you wouldn't dare do that. I mean, that 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 would be uh, <laughs> you'd be fortunate if you lived to tell to tell it about about it. You 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 do what you you did, but you do it because I said you you wouldn't question that was we we know you know what I mean. So I I like giving players input. I like to to get their opinion on things again because it's important for them to feel that they're safe what they think that is valued and that's just an area that i've i've grown over the years as well 
And I think that's huge too. We had another servant leader on um, Coach Tatum at Carolina University, and she said, I give my players a voice. And I think that is so much power. Uh, you know, I tell people just like how the pastor of a church will render and yield to ministers to give them an opportunity. How do they grow if we don't place them in those positions? So I think that's amazing, Coach. Oh, I think that's huge. Thank you. I'm going to give anybody else a last chance or a moment to say anything to Coach. Uh, go ahead, Coach G. Keep this one brief. Coach, how you doing? Thank you. I'm doing fine. Thank you. All right. Uh, again, as always, thanks for coming on. I heard you mention Birmingham, Alabama, man. Is that where you originally from? Born and raised. Likewise. Small world. Small world. West side. I, I, you went, you're on the west side? Yes, sir. Hensley? Uh, Fairfield. Fairfield. Okay. Well, I, I got my first job teaching at Council Elementary School in Hensley. Hensley. Yeah. I went around the corner to hold a family. Okay. Small. Yeah. I know exactly. Know exactly yeah. where it is. So, yeah, small world. Go big I, blue, uh, baby. Yeah. Yes. That's what's up, man. But uh, great. I, I, I li matter of fact, I lived uh, on the west side. The apartments that I lived, uh, I could, uh, I could hear concerts that went on at at Fair Park. Fair Park. Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a bank. That was the first Alabama bank. My apartments was like just above a block from the. Used to be over for, uh, it was a first first Alabama bank, a Eckerd's Drug Store. Mm -hmm. uh, apartments, right? That's that's uh, that's where I. Uh, I lived, um, I guess, the last six last six years years I was in Birmingham, and, and the racetrack too. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but man, listen, um, keep doing what you're doing. Um, again, we we just you never know who you're gonna run into, what walk of life, what what each individual story, each individual testimony may be. Um, and whose testimony will speak to you individually. So, um, you know, just getting a, a word from a hometown person and, and a message of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Steadfast patience. I think that's the best word I can come up with. Um, so, you know, that, that, that spoke to me on some things. So I, I appreciate it, man, and keep doing what you're doing. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. If you ever near on campus, uh, for any of it, don't hesitate to to stop by, whether it's watching practice or game or just come by to, to chat. Um, I don't think people exchange ideas enough. Uh, and again, I think that's that's another part of being a servant leader to, to share, to assess, to give. And again, I had so many people over the years that were so willing uh, to help me. Uh, and so I, I feel a sense of responsibility uh, to, to do that, to give back. And if I didn't, I think I would be, uh, I, I, I too would be missing out. Agree, agree. Sounds like a good plan to me. And Coach G, when you come out to talk to Coach McCullough, I'll have you cake. How about that? <laughs> Teamwork make the dream work, baby. I'm Every day. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Coach, I just want to go ahead and take the time and just let you know, I thank you so much. Um, exactly what you just said is what I experienced, you know, being in a meeting uh, with Coach Daniels and knowing you had something to do, but you still took the time to introduce yourself and you gave that same uh, So when I tell you all that it is very authentic, very true, not just for this conversation, it's who he is. And there was no reason that when the suggestion came to, to get you on, I, I definitely wanted to reach out and do that. And so I'm so thank you. So I thank you so much just for coming on. You have so many gets down here that I've written in my little book over here um, that I know that I will be applying to my life um, and my program and to my servanthood. So coach, thank you so much just for being here. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say anything you'd like to in closing. And if you don't mind, could you close us out with a prayer? 
Yes, I w again, I would, I would just like to say thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share. And I appreciate all of those uh, who've taken time from the busy days to be, to be a part of the Zoom meeting. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for, for the opportunity to, to, to share time together, uh, all to, to worship in your name. And I, I pray that something that, that I've said, uh, something I've said is in such a way that, that will be a reminder to reinforce of his first time that someone would be touched, someone would be helped. In your name we pray, amen.